Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This Christmas season, Calvary Chapel has hosted multiple parties. We had an usher's party and the ladies' tea and a party for the college kids and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. We've had party after party after party. We've enjoyed the Christmas decor and the delicious food, and we've drank oceans of eggnog, and we've enjoyed seasonal tunes. Christmas has filled the air. You've met merry people dressed in merry colors, wishing you and yours a merry Christmas. I love a good party. It adds to the Christmas joy. Imagine, though, if you were attending one of these Christmas parties. It's in full swing when a guest enters the room. He's an older gentleman. A little gray tint, tint a little gray hair tints his receding hairline. His jeans and his denim jacket, his soft-spoken demeanor, his strong, firm handshake tell you that this is a simple, hard-working, blue-collar kind of guy. And when you look into his face, you can tell that he's having a difficult time with all this celebrating. He, he's not into the party like everyone else around you is into the party. Well, you figure a warm welcome will help to light him up, help to make him feel a little bit more comfortable, feel at home. And so you walk over, you shake his hand, you introduce yourself, and he responds politely, and I'm Joseph of Nazareth. Nice to meet you too. Wow! Imagine Joseph at our Christmas party. What if Joseph came to one of our Calvary Chapel Christmas parties? How would he act? Well, I think he'd mingle around us and among us, and he'd see the smiles and hear the laughter and watch the jolly dispositions. But then Joseph would start to wonder, how did Christmas become so merry? I think he'd come to a point, actually, when he'd have all of the festive fun that he could stomach, that he'd throw up his hands in frustration and shout, you guys keep saying Merry Christmas. Well, it's easy for you to say and don't get me wrong, I'm not implying that Joseph was a Scrooge. I'm sure that Joseph was a pleasant enough fellow. But for Joseph, Christmas was anything but a celebration. Christmas for Joe was full of trepidation 
and consternation and deliberation and lots of dedication. I have no doubt the first Christmas had a much different meaning for Joseph than Christmas has for folks today. Christmas through the eyes of Joseph provides us a unique and a challenging perspective. Before the city of Jacksonville, Florida renovated the dilapidated Gator Bowl, the old stadium had its problems. In December 1989, the temperature in northern Florida dipped near freezing, a rare occurrence. And the old plumbing in the Gator Bowl had the tendency to freeze. Its 503 toilets had to be continually flushed to keep the pipes from bursting. Well, the city of Jacksonville hired 23 workers for the sole purpose of walking around the stadium on the day of that year's Gator Bowl just to manually flush the toilets. How's that for a real bowl game? (laughs) On the big day, thousands of fans, they filed into the stadium in a celebratory mood. I mean, this was a bowl game, the reward for a successful season, a festive occasion. For thousands of fans, the mood was jubilant and lighthearted. But for those 23 toilet flushers, it was just another day at the office. Far more duty than it was party. And that helps to illustrate the contrast between Joseph's attitude toward Christmas and our attitude. If Joseph came to our Christmas party he'd probably act more like a toilet flusher than a party goer. I'm not saying Joseph's Christmas was just another day at the office, but for Joseph, I'm sure that his first Christmas carried far more a sense of responsibility than it did merriment. We usually think of Christmas as a treat, but for Joseph, Christmas was a test. It was a test of family. It was a test of faith. And it was a test of fortitude. There was a Christmas card that came out a few years ago that featured a happy family. They were opening their presents around a beautifully decorated tree. The inscription on the inside of the card read, Make merry and send gifts to one another. Now that's actually a verse from the Bible. It's Revelation chapter 11 verse 10. And the quote is accurate. The problem, though, is that Revelation 11 verse 10 has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Revelation 11 predicts the future. It foresees an evil ruler who rises up and takes over the institutions of the earth. This dictator is anti-God and anti-Christ. He mounts a full-scale attack of blasphemy and idolatry. He leads the world into an open rebellion against God. In response, God sends two witnesses to testify of his truth. This Antichrist murders the good guys in the streets of Jerusalem. And then we're told in Revelation 11 verse 10, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Now recall the Christmas card. And make merry and send gifts to one another. It's an anti-Christmas held in honor of an anti-Christ. We use our gift giving to celebrate Jesus. One day, folks will give gifts in defiance of him. And as with the card's misapplication of Revelation 11 verse 10, we too can develop an erroneous view of Christmas. For on the surface, the front of the card, 
We see Christmas as a party. But through the eyes of Joseph, we see it for what it really was and is, a battle. Good and evil slugged it out. The sword of a madman, madman, King Herod, the Bethlehem blood of innocent babies was for Joseph as much a part of Christmas as was the appearance of the star and the visit of the angels and the arrival of the shepherds. God made Joseph responsible for dealing with the harsh realities of a wicked, jealous, bloodthirsty world. Through Joseph, God navigated the infant king around angry tyrants to predetermined rendezvous with strange admirers, even on to precautionary exiles. You see, Mary knew the mystery and marvel of Christmas, whereas Joseph knew the conflict and combat of Christmas. Don't get upset with Joseph if he doesn't understand why we're wishing each other a Merry Christmas. He saw Christmas strip of its cheesy idealism. Joseph held to a harsher, more realistic perspective. If Christmas through the eyes of Mary makes us giddy, then from Joseph's perspective, Christmas forces us to be gritty. You could say it this way, Mary danced with God, but it was Joseph who got her to the dance on time. Joseph added some practicality to Mary's spirituality. Mary praised God. You recall she wrote the famous Magnificat. Well, Joseph served God. He swallowed his pride and he signed the birth certificate. Viewing Christmas through the eyes of Joseph will add some consternation to your celebration. Joseph's perspective may not be as pleasant to consider as was Mary's, but it is every bit as profitable for you and me if we desire to serve the Lord in a difficult world. Remember, for Joseph, Christmas was a test. In fact, as we examine here in Matthew chapter 1, we notice that number one on Joseph's Christmas assessment was a test of his fidelity to his family. The depth of his devotion to his bride-to-be and to her, un- her unusual circumstances was severely put to the test. You know, today, the formation of a marriage occurs in two stages. There is an engagement, which is followed by a marriage ceremony. But in Hebrew culture, marriage was a three-stage process. The parents saw to the engagement. Marriages were sometimes arranged as early as infancy. But then the couple came of age. They entered into what the Hebrews called the Kedushan, or the betrothal. The Kedushan was a period that usually lasted a year or so. It was a binding relationship on the parties. In fact, it took a bill of divorcement to end the arrangement. Legally, the couple was considered married, but during this time, they lived under separate roofs, and they were forbidden to engage in sexual intimacy. At the conclusion of this year, a Nesuin, or a Hebrew wedding, actually took place. And a Hebrew wedding was quite an event. Jewish weddings sometimes lasted a whole week. At the conclusion of the ceremony, the couple entered the bridal chamber, and they consummated their marriage. Yet it was during their Kedushan, or their betrothal period, that Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant. Can you think of a greater test of a man's love for a woman? 
On the one hand, he imagined a, a wicked tryst with another man. But this wasn't the Mary that he knew and loved. On the other hand, how could he believe her preposterous stories, this thing about a miracle birth? Joseph didn't know what to think. His heart was broken. His plans were ruined. His pride was bruised. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a craftsman by trade. His partners were a level in a builder's square. The carpenter's motto is always, measure twice, cut once. You can be sure, Joseph deliberated. He measured his next move. Joseph couldn't just ignore what had happened, yet he still loved this young maiden. The law allowed him to have her stoned, but Joseph opted to send Mary away privately. She could start over in another village. It was then that an angel visited Joseph in a dream. His words are in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 24 tells us how Joe reacted. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, that is, have sexual relations, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. With some angelic confirmation of his own, Joseph ordered the Nisuin and the couple was married. And the text is clear to inform us that Mary remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. With this wedding, a hurdle was crossed, a commitment was sealed, but you can bet the lives of Joseph and Mary would never be back to normal. Josh Martinez was a 13-year-old boy who lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. Josh's mom, his mom, came down with cancer. And she was undergoing some chemotherapy. As a result, she lost her hair. Josh loved his mom, and he wanted to show his love to her, and so he shaved his blonde locks off as a symbol of solidarity. Josh's haircut was a wonderful gesture of love and support to his mom. But it seems the kids at school didn't see it that way. Some of the kids accused Josh of being a skinhead. One day, a group of thugs jumped him and beat him up. His mother, wearing her blonde wig, told a reporter, it was out of love for me that he shaved his head. It's tragic that someone would have to take a beating for a haircut. And of all people, Joseph of Nazareth knew exactly how Josh Martinez felt. For Joseph took a beating for showing his love and loyalty to his betrothed Mary. Joseph took Mary to be his wife because he loved her, because he trusted God. But don't think for a minute other people saw his actions in the same light. Joseph's marriage to Mary and the birth of Jesus carried social consequences far worse than a shaved head. In ancient Israel, few sins brought greater shame than infidelity and illegitimacy. And for the rest of his life, Joseph would father a boy everyone else knew was not really his son. And he would remain faithful to a woman that everyone else thought had been unfaithful to him. Joseph loved this mother and child, but don't think it was an easy decision for him to embrace them as his family. Joseph made a difficult commitment. 
He chose to be a dad and a husband, though his reputation took a beating. Realize, Christmas is all about being a dad, being a husband, being a wife, being a parent. Christmas is about family. Christmas is a family holiday, not because we Americans have made it such. No, when God sent His Son into the world, He entrusted Him into the care of a family. Not a tribe, not a community, not a kibbutz, not an institution, not a commune, not a nanny, not a school, not a group of trained professionals in a child development center. God gave His only Son to a family comprised of one man and one woman committed to each other for life. Evidently, God felt a family would do the best job in rearing His Son. God dignified and honored the nuclear family when He sent Jesus into the world. Christmas is as much a celebration of family as it is of faith. And this is why this Christmas... I want to challenge you and me to focus on our families. And I'm not talking about just trying to buy each other's affection with cheap gifts. Now that Christmas is over, so is the gift giving. But Joseph gave himself to his family. And we should too. He sacrificed his dignity, his pride, even his reputation by embracing a disgraced mother and a stigmatized son. Joseph even left his home in Bethlehem to take the child and mother to Egypt to escape the jealousy of King Herod. Who mowed his lawn while he was away? Who tended to his pet projects? Who used his golf membership or his membership at the fitness center? Who was running his carpenter's shop in Nazareth while he was away caring for his family? You mean Joseph put his family before his business? Well, yes. There is a small town in Florida where a woman runs a shelter for unwanted boys. She's poor, but she's kind. Her approach is small budget, but big hearted. This woman really cares for the boys that are placed in her, in her home. Once a prospective couple, they came to the home to interview a child that they were wanting to adopt. The potential mother asked the boy, do you have a bicycle of your own? He said, no, ma'am. She continued, do you have your own set of rollerblades? Well, no, ma'am. She kept on, do you have a baseball bat? Do you have your own BB gun? On and on she went. Finally, the little guy, he just stopped her and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but if that's all you're going to give me, I'd rather stay right here. Joseph gave his family the best that he could. He gave them himself. Reminds me of an army chaplain who returned home from war just in time for Christmas. This man had been overseas for two years and he hadn't seen his family. He pulled in after midnight on Christmas Eve. And rather than wake the kids, mom and dad planned a surprise for Christmas morning. All the gifts were stacked up around the hearth. And the father, he huddled in among them. His wife draped a white sheet over him so that he blended into the wall behind them. The children couldn't see dad. And as the kids started opening up their presents that morning, suddenly the white sheet began to rustle, and the dad rose up from among the packages. The kids went bonkers. Moms and dads, what would it mean to your family if this Christmas you gave them more of yourself?
sacrificed a little more time, gave them a little more attention, set aside your pursuits to be with them, what would it look like for you to say to them that you care and that you enjoy their company? Oh my, maybe your spouse has been an embarrassment to you. Perhaps she's a bit uncouth or maybe he's can be inappropriate at times. Perhaps your child has shamed or humiliated you. See, Joseph dealt with both scenarios. He bore a shame that had been caused by his family, yet it didn't stop him from loving them and being committed to them. Joseph became a major player in the Christmas story only after he realized that he was not what mattered. Christmas for Joseph was not about his happiness and his merriment, but about a special mother and a mysterious child. Joseph became a hero because he sensed that two other lives were at stake and more important than his own. A spouse and a child were hanging in the balance, dependent upon him and his protection. If you're a spouse, if you're a parent, Joseph should remind you, that it's no longer just about you. George Mason was a bank president whose whole life revolved around his business. He lived alone. He had no time for family, even to the point of turning down his brother's invitations to Christmas dinner. Well, on Christmas Eve, he was locking up his bank when he walked into the vault to get some extra cash. The huge door swung shut behind him, and George Mason was locked inside his own vault. At first, he sensed a feeling of panic. That is, until he found the safety air hole. And since George had declined any Christmas invitations, no one thought it strange that he was missing. There was nothing he could do but just sit back in the dark and wait out the next 48 hours. George Mason spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day surrounded by what he loved most, his money. But he soon discovered that all the bank's money couldn't ease his loneliness. It couldn't convey a warmth to his heart. And by the time that bank reopened 48 hours later, and George was rescued from the vault, his attitude had changed. He wrote these words down and he hung them on a plaque in his office so that he would never forget the lesson that he'd learned. It said, to love people, to be indispensable somewhere, That is the purpose of life. That is the secret of happiness. This was no doubt Joseph's attitude. To love people. To be indispensable somewhere. This is what prompted him to pack up his whole life, as well as this pregnant woman, put them all on the back of a burrow and travel to Bethlehem. Christmas through the eyes of Joseph is all about accepting responsibility for people you love and committing yourself to them for the long haul, even when it becomes inconvenient for you. Christmas is about giving yourself away. It's about you belonging to others. But Christmas through the eyes of Joseph was not only a test of family. It was also a test of faith. Should Joseph believe? Could he believe? Would he believe? All he has to go on here was the Word and a Word. The Word was Isaiah 7 verse 14. For the prophet had predicted, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Joseph knew this name Emmanuel. It meant God with us. And then a word comes to him. An angel appears and speaks to him. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The word and a word kept bouncing around in his head. Moving around in his heart. Would that be enough for Joseph to believe? Did you hear about the elephant? He was enjoying a swim down in the river. He was playing, he was splashing, spewing water everywhere, having a trunk load of fun. When all of a sudden, a mouse appeared on the beach. This little mouse was in great distress. He started yelling at the elephant, get out of the water, calling him names, coaxing him out of the water. The elephant didn't want to end his swim, but the mouse kept screaming. If he was going to get any peace and quiet, he realized that he was going to have to get out of the river and see what this mouse wanted. The huge pachyderm, he lumbered up on the bank. He towered over the little mouse, and that's when he said, Now what in the world do you want? The mouse replied, Ah, that's okay. I just wanted to see if you were wearing my bathing suit. (laughs) Now actually, it's easier to imagine a huge elephant in a mouse's bathing suit than it is comprehending how the infinite God could wrap himself in flesh and blood and bone and become the tiniest and weakest of humans. Listen to one author's description of the mystery. The omnipotent made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God became a fetus. Do I understand this? (laughs) No way. But do I believe it? For sure. It is a sad, shallow, self-obsessed person who believes only what they can grasp with their own minds. Do you really understand how a simple acorn can fall to the ground and in time become a giant oak? I don't. Can you explain to me the mysteries of DNA? Or how the brain turns chemistry into thoughts? Or the development of language? So much in the physical realm is a mystery to us. But now, try to comprehend the spiritual realm. How can you reduce to terms the unrestricted, unbounded power of God? Try to dissect the intricacies of God's triune nature. Or the wisdom that spawned our salvation. Or the logic behind God's great love. These are impossible feats. You see, the real question Joseph had to answer was not, do you believe a virgin can conceive? Or can the divine become human? With God, nothing is impossible. The real question was this, are you going to limit the power and potentials of Almighty God? And this is the question for us. In a sense, it wasn't much to go on. The Word and a Word. But in another sense, this is all that any of us need to go on. For it was a word from God, and it was the word of God. And when you have a word and the word, you have a lot. Christmas through Joseph's eyes was a test of faith. Christmas challenges us. Do we know where our logic ends and God's omniscience begins? 
Do we recognize our limits and God's limitlessness? Do we see our resources as finite and God's as infinite? For Joseph, Christmas was a time to stop figuring how and formulating why and settle his soul to trust in God. Christmas is about believing in God's promises. It's about being astonished at God's power. It's about trusting and resting in God's grace. From Joseph's perspective, Christmas was a test. It was a test of family. It was a test of faith. And then finally, it was a test of fortitude. How strong was Joseph's commitment? In verse 24, we're told, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And this would not be the last time God would arouse Joseph from a deep sleep out of a concern for his wife and his child. It happened again in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus had been born, the angel appeared a second time to Joseph and told him to flee the madness of King Herod. Pack up and take your young family to Egypt. And I'm sure that was just the beginning. For all fathers get aroused from their sleep from time to time out of concern for their families. A creak in the night, a bump in the dark. Okay, honey. I'll go check on it. The baby cries. Okay, sweetheart, I'll go get him. Our car squeals its tires. Okay, I better check on that. The boy's out past his curfew. Getting roused from sleep is a rite of parenthood. The question was, would Joseph stick with this day after day, year after year, for the long haul? We get a clue In verse 25, Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. This is a pretty big sacrifice. This kind of shows you his intention. Understand what this meant practically. Joseph took a cold shower on his wedding night. That's a tough way to start a marriage. And that was just the beginning. For the next nine months, Joseph took cold showers in obedience to the command of God. He had all the duties, all the responsibilities of marriage, yet he was forbidden one of its chiefest pleasures. Joseph made the startling discovery, as all new spouses and parents do, that the commitment that they've just made is going to greatly complicate their lives. But Joseph embraced the changes. He stuck with the obligations He remained faithful to his responsibilities. In fact, eight days after the child was born, Joseph and Mary, they took the boy to the Jewish temple to have him circumcised, to declare his name before God. And again, Joseph follows orders to the T. He resisted the urge to go with Joey Jr. You know he was tempted. But he obeyed God. He named his son Jesus as the angel of the Lord had instructed. In Joseph's first three years of marriage, he pushed his way through busy city streets. He cleared out cow patties in a stable so his wife could have a place to deliver a baby. He abandoned his carpentry business, left his hometown, became an outcast, even an outlaw. He moved three times. I'm sure he struggled to understand Egyptian. It's a weird language. To find work in a foreign country, he had to do that. Hey, Christmas through the eyes of Joseph was a test of fortitude 
and courage and stick with itness and toughness. The English word reliable, it's a compound word. Liable means you're responsible, you're liable. The suffix re means over and over and over again. And here's a picture of Joseph. Joseph never tired of his responsibilities. He honored his commitment to his family over and over and over again. In the end, this man Joseph proved reliable. Joseph wasn't a flashy fellow. There was nothing charming or charismatic or witty or articulate about Joseph. Yet here, God found a man who listened to heaven and then did what he was told. And he did it over and over and over again. And in God's eyes, that made Joseph no ordinary Joe. Joe was obedient to God and he was faithful to his wife and family. And in today's world, That is extraordinary. It's interesting, after Jesus turned 12 years old, we read nothing else of Joseph in the Scriptures. Most Bible scholars believe that Joseph died before Jesus began his public ministry. Did he come down with a fever? Did he die of a heart attack? You know, it's not like Joseph was under any undue stress or pressure. All he had to do was protect and nurture the Son of God. It's true, Joseph carried a heavy burden. Joseph of Nazareth, he didn't live a very long life. But can you imagine a more fulfilling and significant life? Talk about making a contribution. The earthly father of God might just be the grandest gig in the Christmas story. God chose this man, Joseph, for the most important mission any man has ever been assigned. Apparently, God is pleased with a person endeared to family, engaged by faith, and energized with fortitude. Author Max Licato, he has a chapter on Joseph in his book, God Came Near. The chapter is entitled, Limb Climber or branch sitter. And he concludes that Joseph was not a branch sitter. He wasn't content to stay close to the trunk of the tree. He valued obedience over convenience. What mattered to Joseph was what mattered to God. When God called this man to climb out on the end of a shaky, flimsy limb, he was willing to go, no questions asked. And over the years, when the winds blew and the leaves fell, Joseph stayed Out on the end of that limb, Joseph was faithful. Again, the memorial to Joseph's life are the words in verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He followed orders. This Christmas, we all would do well to add some examination to our celebration. What about you? Do you hang out next to the trunk of the tree? Do you play it safe? Looking out for number one? Or are you willing to go out on the limb when God calls? Out on the limb to serve the Lord? Or to love your family? Or to stay true to your commitments? Are you a branch sitter? Or are you a limb climber? When you see Christmas through the eyes of Joseph, you see another side of worship. 
Mary's love was emotional, but Joseph's love was practical. Joseph had a get-her-done kind of love. His love for God and family were rooted in responsibility and expressed in deeds. As we've noted, Joseph wasn't particularly talented or gifted. In one sense, he was very, very ordinary. But when convinced of the truth and called on by God, he stepped out. And this is what a Joseph does. He steps up and he climbs higher rather than just play it safe. And now you know why Joseph would be puzzled if he dropped in on our Christmas party. And he heard us all saying to each other, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. For Christmas through the eyes of Joseph was a test. A test of family, a test of faith, and a test of fortitude. And the good news is, is that the grades on us are still out. For our testing isn't over. There's still time for you and me to look at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. And if we do, it's not complicated. Just listen to heaven. Then do what God says do. And that'll make you no ordinary Joe.